we just come before you now, um, just during this season, Lord, of uh, being thankful. We just had Veterans Day, Lord. We're thankful for uh, veterans, people that have sacrificed for us, Lord, for this country, Lord. Uh, this freedom has certainly cost some people a lot, Lord. And we want to recognize them, God. And we want to say as a church uh, that we thank you for them. We pray that you bless their families. And we pray that you bless them, Lord. And God, uh, as Christmas uh, also comes around, Lord, just this whole season, Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that um, people would just be receptive, God, to the fact that you're there, um, that the God of the Bible is real, uh, that good and bad does matter. And so we pray, Lord, that you would just maybe open up doors for us when sharing with others when maybe it wouldn't be possible, Lord, but maybe because it's the holidays, um, people would be maybe a little bit softened, Lord. And God, we just pray this morning, Lord, that as we read from your word, Lord, and we read about Paul right at the very end, God, as we close out uh, the books of, book of Acts here, we've been following him the whole time. And you've been watching him from heaven when he was actually living it out and doing it, Lord. Um, we pray, God, that we would really uh, maybe take away some things um, that Paul uh, has done, Lord, and recognize some qualities from you that are still certainly alive and active today, Lord. So, God, we love you, and we just put this morning in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Alrighty, so let's go. Let's turn anyways. We'll turn to Acts 28. And we are going to actually finish the book of Acts, believe it or not. So that is pretty cool. Uh, that's pretty exciting. So we actually went, covered, went through a whole book of the Bible. Um, that is pretty neat. You know, I don't know how many churches can say, hey, at least we covered through a whole book of the Bible. Um, it's interesting that uh, Calvary Chapel, um, that's kind of like their thing. That's what they like to do. They like to finish through the whole Bible and cover it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Um, I don't think it's really that novel of an idea, but I, I guess apparently it is. And so it's pretty cool that we get a chance to go through and cover the whole thing. So, let's preface this morning and kind of... Uh, help you to know where we're headed, right? A big part within the believer's life, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of big parts. Like, um, you know, you want to be responsible. You want to have, like, courage. You want to have strength. Um, but certainly a big part. It makes it really difficult for those things to come into play if you lose this one particular element. Um, and we probably don't even really use the word, maybe even a lot. I don't, I don't use it that much, and I don't really even really he hear it a lot. But it, it, it's really, it's crucial. Because once that's gone, like discouragement, despair, being like overwhelmed, really stressed out, all these other things seem to set in. And they seem to set in like really powerfully to where it's like, oh my goodness, this is just all that I see. So I think hope, right? Hope. Hope is a big, it should be a big mark and like a big thing in the believer's life. And um, I would think and I would assume that other people that are watching would be like, man, you know, they might see it as always being really positive all the time. Wow, they're just always up. They always see, like, you know, the other side of it. You know, they're always really positive about things. Um, but what we know uh, to be true is that as believers, we have a hope because we know that we have a God that loves us. We have a God that has plans for us. Uh, and we know that in all things, he's going to work for the good of those who love him. Like, that's what we know. And so sometimes maybe it might get, you know, misunderstood as being positive, which it is kind of positive, but our hope is really in our God, right? And our God that can conquer anything and all things. 
that hope can really spur on and stay alive if we are able to really grasp a really simple fact, a really simple truth. But unfortunately, it's, it's, like, it's not that easy to grasp and hold on to and have. The fact that God himself is actually extremely, extremely faithful. Right? If we're kind of like all over the place on that as far as how faithful maybe he is and how much he does love us and what kind of plans maybe he does have for us, we could start to lose hope. Well, I don't know if he really thinks that about me. Um, I don't know if that's really the case. If that was the case, I don't know if things would really necessarily be going the way they are right now. And so if we kind of, kind of go up and down sometimes with how faithful we might think God is, that can cause our hope to kind of go from there. And then that could take us to all kinds of different things. Um, and then unfortunately, people find a lot of different outlets that aren't healthy and that aren't good. So we're going to look today at a really pivotal mark, an issue that happens right at the end of the book where God shows how faithful he is. And I mean, the Bible is a story about how he's been faithful really the whole time to all different types of people in all different types of contexts. And it's kind of a relatively simple like, topic. Like we could go you know, downstairs right now and hang out with the kids and tell them, oh, God is good to us and he loves us and he's faithful. Right? And we could say that. But to actually like have that and own it and be like, yes, he's good, he loves us, he's faithful, and let me tell you guys a story. And so you have all the kids like sit around you. And then you, like, you tell them like, a story about how God has been faithful and he's really showed up and you had no idea how he might even show up or how it would be possible. But you're, and then you showed them the story and explained it to them and they'd be like, you know, and their eyes are big and then they're listening. And so now you're telling them because you've owned it. Right? It's happened in your life. It's something that you can talk about. Seeing God be faithful. It's, it's one thing to have it as mental knowledge. Okay, yep, I got that one. Uh, but to actually experience it and then have the stories that go behind it, like that's the thing um, that really changes you. Um, I remember, personally, um, a big thing uh, for me when I was growing up as far as uh, seeing God be faithful, and there's a lot of different areas and ways, but one that sticks out anyways, at least to me right now, um, is certainly finding my wife. To me, that was like, that, that was a big, uh, difficult, kind of a struggle thing for me. Um, because, you know, in this day and age, whether we like it or not, you know, appearance is a huge thing. And so, you know, my story is, is that when I was uh, six years old, you know, I, I took my last trip to the barber shop, and that was it. You know, all hair gone, and, uh, you know, that's it. And so, basically, uh, it is a... Um, it's an autoimmune uh, disorder where basically your hair, your body just rejects the hair follicles. And uh, sometimes, in some cases, it just never comes back, and I was one of the lucky ones of those cases. Should have bought a lot of ticket that day, I guess. But, you know, it, it never grew back, you know? So that was a big thing. It was a big struggle. Um, fortunately, God uh, kind of worked out for me to where I was still somehow able, you know, to make friends and, like, be involved in sports. And so I sort of found my identity in those areas. Um, but then, like, later on in life, like, some of those areas kind of got taken away. And then I was like, oh, my goodness, you know, like, what the heck? Like, what kind of person am I? Like, who am I? Like, all these type of things. And in the back of my mind, um, you know, I'm thinking, geez, how would I ever find a wife, you know? How would I ever find a wife that's, like, you know, beautiful, you know, that would love me, be into me, um, a Christian woman that's just like, you know, loves the Lord and, 
you know, and I certainly don't want to like settle either. And so, how the heck would that even work out, you know? Um, so then I go through life, you know, trying to live the way God says, trying to be pure, trying to do the right things, uh, not trying to waste time with uh, maybe other girls that are nice and things, but maybe just aren't good for me, and maybe not good for the direction that God has called me to go in. And so every time I look at Julie now, because she has like surpassed that. I mean, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Um, so every time I look at her, it's like, boom. I look at her and I see, yep, he is faithful. If I do the right thing, you know, I know I went up and down. I, I know that I wasn't perfect along the way. Um, but then I look at her and I see, bam, I know. He's good, right? And so for you, it might be different. You know, you might, um, for some people, just the fact that they even maybe had kids, you know, it's just an unbelievable miracle. And there's plenty of stories throughout that in the Bible, you know, where, uh, you know, women were barren and they didn't, you know, have any kids. It was a miracle just to get them. Um, or maybe it's, uh, you know, a job that somebody gets. Or it, it could be all kinds of different things. But hopefully it's one of those things where you look back and you say, geez, I really sacrificed myself in that as far as doing it God's way. And I really didn't know what was going to happen next or how it was going to work out. But it did in the end, right? And here's my story to talk about it. Right? And so that's what God wants to do because at the end of the day, He wants to say, ah, oh, give me an opportunity to show up. Like, okay, use all your resources, use everything you got, but give me a reason to show up. Like, let's level the playing field. You have nothing else to reach out to. You know, there's nobody else you could talk to. Now let's let's see God work, right? Because He works in the supernatural. So this is a life of faith. As you go through the Bible, these guys like Peter, Paul, uh, Abraham, Moses. I mean, these are, these are just guys. And then you see women, you know, like Ruth. I, all through the Bible. Mary, why, why is he picking these people? Why do he do this? They're just going to be obedient. I mean, they're perfect, but they're just going to be obedient. So, it's a life of faith. It's God's faithfulness. And if we latch on to that, and that's really and truly a part of who we are, and it's something we really hold on to on a regular basis, it's going to be a totally different life. And that hope really won't waver too much. Won't waver too much. So let's see how God shows up to be faithful in the end of Acts. Okay? So, we pick up where he just left this island of Malta, and he was there with uh, these islanders. And uh, basically, God is working through Paul. He gets introduced to the king of the island, heals him and his household. They all become... Uh, you know, believers uh, in Christ, and he really transforms really that island after he leaves. And so now he's on his way to Rome. That's the big deal. He's going to Rome. So let's uh, pick up in verse 11. So it says, After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. Right? So they're on the island, there is a ship there, and they're there for at least three months, right? They're there for kind of a while. They spent the winter there. It was an Alexandrian ship. So it looked like this one, kind of up here. Uh, so that's the kind of ship that they're in, a big ship, uh, good for sailing, technically like a grain ship. And that's what they did. They all piled on there. Um, and they're all heading back to Rome. It says it was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. And so basically on the boat, if we could uh, even imagine, it's probably not a, a great picture, but on the imagine they'd have Castor on one side, uh, Pollux on the other side, and these were considered uh, to be sort of like, uh, 
guiding deities that would help them with their travels, you know, on the boat. Um, that uh, they were actually the sons of Zeus, and so it would keep them safe. And so I'm sure, you know, when Paul and kind of his companions kind of looked at it, they probably kind of chuckled, and they're like, yeah, they think that's, you know, going to help them out. You know, we know who the true God is. And so Luke makes a point of writing it down that they hopped in this big boat. Uh, it had the, you know, Godheads on either side. And in verse 12 it says, We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. It says, From there we set sail and arrived at another town, uh, Regium, and then the next day the south wind came up, and on the following day we reached Petoli. There we found some brothers who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. Boom! I wish there was like, in our Bibles, there was like blinking billboards, there was like uh, uh, stuff that would jump out of the page, and it would just like uh, almost smack us in the face and be like, this is the time, like this is a huge deal. Right? It says, and so we came to Rome. And you could just read over that really quickly, but this is a huge, huge moment. Like this, this is the pinnacle. This is what Paul was hoping for. This is the evidence of God being faithful. Because God told him, he said, listen, I'm not, you've got to go to Rome first and testify for me there. And you had to think, right, while Paul was in jail some, almost three years ago, he was in jail for like two years just sitting in a cell, nowhere near Rome. And he must have been like, what? How the heck is this going to work out? How is God going to bring me there? How is it going to happen? And here we are, right? This is huge. And I think on the next slide it shows us why it's huge. Because earlier in Acts, we saw it says, after all this had happened, right, this was Acts 19, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia, for I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. So God told him way back in Acts chapter 19 that, hey, you got to go there. And then when things got difficult, in Acts 23, tells him again, he says, the following night the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Right, so God told him this, and he said, hey, here's what I said, this is what I, I'm telling you it's going to happen. It might not look like it right now, and you might not really see how it's going to work out, but I'm telling you it's going to work out, you're going to go there, you're going to see it. And he gets there, right, it's huge. I mean, for us, we can just turn to Acts chapter 28, we can look at verse 14 and see it. But at his point in time, like, his perspective was like, I don't know when it's going to happen. Right? Hindsight is always perfect, but if you're living in it, Paul couldn't turn to Acts 28 and say, hey Luke, you know, what's going to happen next? And see what happens there. So, let's pick up after the critically important verse that he actually gets there that God is faithful. It says, the brothers there had heard that we were coming. So somehow they heard about it. And they traveled as far as the form of Apius and the three taverns to meet us. So basically people traveled as far as 50 to 60 miles to come see uh, Paul and Luke and to see what they might be talking about. It says, At the sight of these men, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. So basically he was in house arrest. And so he probably had a guard chained to him. And they would change kind of every shift. And so that's kind of really how he spent two years. Was he was there for two years, waiting to get his time to sit before Caesar still and say, basically say, here's my case, you know, I'm innocent, I probably shouldn't be here, but, you know, here is my case. And so he's waiting for two years in house arrest. In verse 17 it says, Three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews. 
So Paul does. He calls together the leaders of the Jews. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, right? And that's how he ended up where he is. Not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain, right? You see the hope, right? It's because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. So they reply. And you might think if you pause there, right? And we saw all of the heated debate, all of the heated conversation, where basically they grabbed him, they beat him, they threw rocks at him. They were really angry. They were really mad at this guy. And so you might think that they would have told the other Jewish people in Rome that, hey, this guy's coming. He's been a big problem. We don't like him. He's really almost like a cult leader. So make sure you take care of him. But that doesn't happen. Verse 21, it says, They replied, they were like, Really? We haven't received any letters from Judea concerning you. And none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear about what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. So it's interesting. They had this big problem with him, but they never sent word. And so you can kind of tell right away that, you know what? They were really jealous, really, of a lot of what he was doing. And it wasn't really about principle. It was about jealousy and seeing this guy, you know, get punished. That's what it was really about. But these guys are like, hey, we want to hear about this because we've been hearing some, like, peripheral things, but we want to know kind of, you know, what the deal is. So in verse 23, it says, They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day. So they come, they're basically going to come to his house, his house arrest place, and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. And that's always the case when the gospel comes forth. Verse 25 says, They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. Uh, For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and in turn, I would heal them. It says, Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. And so basically, Paul quotes them. He said, Listen, this has been a problem the whole time. Like, you guys are getting the message. God has come to you first. He's trying to tell you and warn you that the Son has come. Jesus has done the work. Sin has been paid for. But you guys just don't want to hear it. Like, you're not listening. You're not paying attention. You're getting distracted with other things. And Paul says, well, listen, I'm going to go who wants to hear it. And the Gentiles, the people who are not Jewish, they want to hear it, and they're going to listen, and that's where this is going to go. And so in verse 30 says, For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, boom, right? We come right to the end. And then after that, you know, what happens uh, with Paul uh, while he was there, he, re- he wrote, while he was there that two years, he wrote Philippians, uh, Colossians, uh, Galatians, Ephesians. I mean, he wrote almost two-thirds of the New Testament while he was there that two years in jail. It's very interesting. What if he wasn't there? You know, would we have even had that? 
You know, I don't know. Um, they say that he had his trial. He went before Caesar. He was probably cleared. And then after that, he made his way to Spain and continued just to do his work and tell people about Jesus Christ, tell them about the kingdom. And then he actually gets arrested again. Um, and then this time from jail, that's when he's going to write Timothy and Titus, those books in the Bible. And then tradition says that like a little while after that, he ends up getting beheaded. And that's happened to him. Right, but he served his time. He did what God told him to do. He went where God told him to go, and God was faithful, and he brought him to Rome. And really, you can't expect anything less. You know, you picture this guy in house arrest, you know, and what would he be doing the entire time that he's there? Like, you can't shut this guy up. There's no way. Because he's passionate. It's changed his life. So what would he be doing in house arrest? He's spreading the message of life. Right, and that's what it said. And I think on the next slides here, right, it just quotes what we just read. It says, he witnessed to them from morning till evening. Like, he's just not wasting any time. And you've got to imagine the guy that's chained to him. He must be like, well, this guy, shut up. Like, what is he talking? Just continues to go on and on. Explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus, right? That's what he did. And the next one there says, for two whole years, right, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, came to all and welcomed all who came to see him. So he just created his own ministry right where he was at. Right? His typical model that we read a lot about in Acts is that he'd always go to the synagogue and go find them there and go talk with them. But now everybody's starting to come to him. Uh, and it must have been just a, like an unbelievable house arrest. And it says, He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And knowing this guy, Paul, and the way things uh, have gone, you really expect nothing less. Being bold, being courageous, not letting anything stop him. And just hoping that somebody will hear like, this message of truth and hear about Jesus Christ and maybe they'll respond. That's what he was about. So, I got a couple of thoughts um, coming from this passage. One is a simple one, which is how we started off. This is one that, I don't know, I, I, you know, I think we have difficult times with this. Just a simple thought. He is faithful, he does love us, he does have a perfect plan. Like somehow that, that just can get lost kind of in the working sometimes. Uh, that he actually is faithful, he stays true to his word. Right? He, listen to these passages of past people in the Bible that have wrote about this. It says, who is like you, O Lord Almighty? Right? Psalm 89. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. Right? Again in Psalm 89. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness, they go before you. And you've probably heard this one in a song before. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Right? It's a famous third day song. Then you get the hymn, right? Great is thy faithfulness. Right? Morning by morning, right? Right? So, but that's what he is. Like, that, that's his default. Like, that's what he does. That's just, he, he can't help to not be that. Um, faithful is being consistent, being steady, being dependable, being trustworthy. You know, how many people could, like, say that, you know, about you? Um, but that's what God is by default. He doesn't make a mistake with that. And so it's not really risky if we think about it in that light really to trust Him. So then can I really trust Him like with my finances and give to where I'm supposed to even though there's really nothing coming in? Well, yeah, because He's going to be faithful about it, right? 
He's going to be faithful to me. He said that he's going to provide and meet my needs. It's, it's a promise in Scripture. So can I wait for my dream bride to come later on? Absolutely, right? I wake up and I see her all the time, right? It's awesome. It's awesome. Right? You've got to have these stories about how he's been faithful because other people are going to want to hear these stories. Right? He does love us. And so that's the one that really like, takes a whack, I think, sometimes because it's like, geez, if he did love me, why would he let me you know, be going through uh, these trying times and difficulties right now? But if you spend any time, any time throughout that Bible, I mean, we just read through Acts, and you saw how Paul's life went. You saw how Peter's life went. It was some tough stuff. But God, it's never that God didn't love him, and he loved him less at certain times, and that's why that stuff happened. It's just that's what God had before him. And he certainly has a perfect plan, and in Jeremiah it talks about how God has plans um, for our lives. So the second thought, Besides the fact that he's faithful, he loves us, and he has a plan. Like, sometimes I just need to say that out loud just to myself. And when things just, like, get difficult and the rubber's really hitting the road, you know, he does love me. He does have a plan. I can't see it. Um, I don't know, Lord. I'm just going to trust you on that one. And so sometimes even just saying it out loud or calling up somebody and just telling the truth, be like, I am just struggling and having a hard time right now uh, and telling them, you know. But I, I do know that he loves me. He has a plan. He's got something for me. I just do not see it right now. And honestly, I could use some prayers and use some help right now. It's huge. It's huge. The other thing is that his work is not done. That's for sure, right? Paul wasn't done. I mean, it's kind of, when we come to Acts, kind of like this abrupt stop and all these other things happened. But the point of the book was to show about how the church would come on the scene and how the church would spread. And next we're going to talk about church uh, just a little bit. Um, and to see where the church is and like what happened and like are we still kind of in the right spot and what happened, what developed. So God is still pursuing after people. He's trying to get their attention, trying to win their hearts, trying to give them an opportunity to respond to Him. That's what He's still trying to do. So if we turn, turn with me to uh, Isaiah 6. Because that's where this whole part where he says there'll be ever hearing, not understanding, um, seeing but not perceiving, right? This is quoted from the Old Testament. So Paul took this uh, as a quote. So turn to Isaiah 6. This is when Isaiah got called, really, uh, you know, by God. He said, hey, listen, I want you to go and uh, kind of be my mouthpiece. Uh, and and I, Isaiah responded, with, geez, you know, I... I can't do this, man. I am unclean and I'm not capable. Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6. Yep, Isaiah 6. So Isaiah 6, and we pick up in verse 8. Because that is what Paul is quoting when he's talking to the Jews that are there with him. Right? So you have to go backwards. Uh, in Isaiah uh, chapter 6, verse 8. And it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah says, And I said, Here am I. Send me. Go and tell this people. Right? And here's what really God said. It says, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. 
And it says, Then I said, For how long, O Lord? And he answered, Right, uh, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant. And he kind of goes on from there. And so God told him, He said, Listen, you're going to have a hard time talking to them. You're going to try and win them, but they're going to hear you. They're not going to understand what you're saying. They're going to see what I'm going to do, what miracles I'm going to do, but they're not really going to get it. And actually, their hearts are going to be hardened because they're going to think that by following like a set of rules, that that's actually worshiping me. And that's not really the whole story. And so Isaiah, you've got to go forth and kind of put this thing into perspective and show them what true, genuine worship is really all about. And so that's what Isaiah's call was. And so Paul was like reiterating that point to them when they got together because it says when he explained the good news about Jesus Christ and about salvation, that some listened and were persuaded and some weren't. And so Paul's like, listen, just like Isaiah said to them before, you know, you're going to see this stuff, you're not going to get it, you're going to hear it, you know, you're not going to understand this. Um, You're kind of mixed up. Don't let that happen to you because it happened to them. Don't let that happen to you. And so then, essentially, for that two years under house arrest, Paul becomes this huge witness to like, he just takes in everybody who comes by and tells anybody who wants to hear about Jesus Christ. And maybe you might know some people like that. Um, It tends to happen a lot of times, like right when somebody really commits their life to God and they just like, I think of a lyric in a song where it's just like, I tasted air for the very first time. Like, this is what it's like. This is what living is all about. And then you can't, like, get them to be quiet. They're telling everybody that might want to listen, that might want to hear, because they just saw it of who God really is and what he actually did for them and how it's available for everyone. And God doesn't play any favorites. And so they want to just tell everybody. And so that's the way he was. And it said that he witnessed as far as what happened and and what God has done. And that's part of the role for the church. What we're going to do is we're going to go out and be witnesses for what God has done. And so hopefully, you know, we can become a group of uh, believers that have all kinds of stories about how God has been faithful. And so then our witness is not just like some sort of ideological, theological debate to where now it's practical and it's like, listen, I've seen this happen in my life. Like, this legitimately has happened. God has come in and changed this. He's taken away this part of my life. He's brought together this part. My marriage has now been restored. My kids are now on the right track. He has brought this job really literally out of nowhere. These things have happened. And let me tell you the story about it. Right? So that's like really our goal in the church is to be witnesses the instrument that God is going to use. That's why Acts is such a huge book. And so we'll talk a little bit about this next week. But Acts is a huge book because the two things that Jesus Christ is passionate about, two things. He's passionate about his people, us. So I went to the cross. And he's passionate about his bride, the church. Right? And so Acts is a huge, hugely important book because that's when his bride shows up on the scene. And we see like... How did it happen? Who did he use? And uh, there was people, you know, that kind of messed some things up. Uh, There was lying and deceit. There was miraculous signs and wonders. There was all kinds of different things. So it's amazing. So our role at the church is to be an instrument, to be a witness, to spread it to the world. And so kind of on a recap, certainly that phrase, I think, is helpful quite a bit. Um... He is faithful. He does love me. 
right? He does have a perfect plan for me. I might not see it. I don't, might not even really know what's coming next, but it's true. It's true. And his work is not done. It's not done with me, um, and it's not done with other people, right? There are a couple barriers as far as uh, recognizing God's faithfulness, right? There are some barriers sometimes, I think, maybe that we let in sometimes. Um, I would say timing sometimes can be a barrier for us, right? Like, we live in a world where literally you could learn anything you want in almost like a quarter of a second. You just type it in. Anything that you want to know about. Uh, I want to know about snakes. Boom. Google will kick it back in like a quarter of a second. And you could just learn like anything you want to know about snakes. Or whatever. Anything you want to know. And so this world just moves so fast we can get anything that we want. And sometimes God's faithfulness gets tied into like our timetable a little bit. And that can become kind of difficult. Uh, at least, you know, I know for me. Um, when Paul was sitting uh, in that jail cell for a couple of years, or when Abraham had to wait 13 years for his kid, uh, or when David was on the run in the desert uh, for almost 15 years, it's like, geez, what the heck is going on? Like, how faithful is God really going to be? The timetable can sometimes be a little bit discouraging. Um, but hopefully, uh, we give God some freedom with his own timetable. This quote uh, I like by Charles Spurgeon, uh, as we kind of close up the book of Acts here, says, What was begun with so much heroism ought to be continued with ardent zeal. Right? Only he could talk like that. I mean, you, know, you guys would laugh if I started talking like that. I couldn't talk like that. Um, Since we are assured that the same Lord is mighty, stoked to carry on his heavenly designs. Right? I mean, that's, that's a good quote, and that's like a fitting way, I think, to kind of Close it, and lo, I am with you always, right? He told that to Paul in the book of Acts. You know, I'm with you always. Um, so why don't we, um, we're going to close with uh, one song, hopefully. Maybe not. Actually, no, I don't think it's going to work. So why don't we stand, we'll close in prayer. Um, but God's faithfulness throughout the whole book of Acts has been, I don't know, it's very exciting to me. Like, I love to see it and go back. And, of course, hindsight is always twenty twenty. You always see it that way. And uh, the idea and the goal is that hopefully in the middle of it, we're still staying pretty solid. So let's bow our heads. Let's pray. So, God, we just thank you, Lord, um, for how faithful you are to us, God. Even if we're not perfect, and there are some mistakes along the way, uh, you promise, Lord, that if we seek your face, we seek your kingdom and your righteousness, all these other things will be added unto us, Lord. God, that's simple language and simple truths, but we can just like make that very complicated and not take it for face value sometimes. And so God, we just pray, Lord, that you would help us to take it for face value. We pray that you help to give us the strength and the courage that we need to carry it out, God. It's encouraging to see you get Paul to Rome and how you got him there, Lord. And then once he was there, you equipped uh, him and Luke with penning these books, which we're reading this morning, Lord. It's amazing. It's amazing. So God, help us to be people, Lord, that don't waver and that we can always count on your faithfulness, Lord. And when we see a challenging situation arise, 
You can say, man, this is challenging and this is tough, but I know my God's going to come through for me. So God, we thank you for this time. We put our lives in your hands, Lord. And we know that our righteousness for you is not in vain, God. In Jesus' name, amen.